This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Trader, trade, trader, Cobb Crypto Podcast. Podcast. This is the Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. G'day guys, welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. I've got another amazing guest for me today here at the Rockefeller Center. I've got John from Shapeshift. It's amazing to have you on the show, mate. Thank you very much for being here. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you for having me. So look, I, I haven't got the best introduction for you, so I'll let you take care of that yourself and tell the uh, listeners and viewers all about what you're doing. Sure. So I'm I'm the Chief, op- Chief Operations Officer um, at Shapeshift um, and have been in that place since we started the company. Um, so I've seen, I've kind of overseen a, a lot of our growth and uh, the development of our products over that time. And I've just been, you know, trying to help build the business and ride the wave, especially in this last year as the markets have exploded yeah. um, and just trying to help scale up the company and deal with all of that. So, uh, I mean, tell us what, what Shapeshift is about. What's your mission? What are you trying to achieve? What do you bring to us? What do you offer the public and how we, what differs you from other platforms that are out there, I guess? Absolutely. So yeah, Shapeshift is a uh, online platform for buying and selling digital assets. And specifically, what this means is that you don't have to sign up an account. There's an open API that anyone can connect to. And we just try to make it as frictionless and easy as possible to let someone convert from one type of digital asset, such as Bitcoin, to another one type, such as Ethereum, or any other yep. number of assets that we support. Um, and we do this all without ever taking custody of funds. So that's one of our kind of uh, claims to fame and one of the benefits of the service is that we're never holding on to anyone's assets for any long periods of time. So if Shapeshift were to disappear tomorrow, generally no, My assets are fine. no one's at risk. That's that's the whole concept. All right, cool. And yeah. uh, I mean, look, what, what I think is really fascinating is, you know, you touched on it before, the, the amazing speed at which this industry is growing, uh, platforms, exchanges, obviously being the, the first line of defense, you yeah. onboard the clients. We've seen a number of them shutting down because too many clients coming on board through the December run. Yep. Many, most, stopped taking accounts because sure it was did. going so <laughs> quickly. Now, of course, there's been some struggles. I'm sure every startup has them. Um, I want to know a bit about the early days. And yeah. I mean, look, I think it's really healthy to talk about the mistakes that were made, issues that you've overcome because you have overcome them. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not sitting here talking because you failed. We're sitting here talking because you succeeded. So some of the things that you've been through, some of the lessons that you've learned to get you to where you are, and what were some of the, the areas or times where, I mean, were you ever on the edge of it not working? Yeah, I've, I feel like I've gotten this question quite a few times actually <laughs> in the last like six months. Um, yes, there, like any startup, there was many times where it felt like we were on the edge of either falling apart or not working or something disastrous happened to the business. Um, I can think of a number of times, even in you know in the early days when we first started getting traction, um, it was clear that people were interested in the service, but we weren't sure if it was going to grow fast enough to actually support the business to yeah. actually really be generating any real revenue. Um, that fear kind of went away pretty fast as the service started to grow, which was great. Um, we've had numbers of issues with you know our service and APIs and servers and dealing with various blockchain nodes at various points. Lots of those issues. I like to say that Shapeshift is kind of the crypto canary in the coal mine. 
okay. meaning that because everything we do is on chain, like every transaction on Shapeshift is actually on two blockchains. Um, nothing happens internally in a database or anything like that. And as a result, we stress these blockchain systems um, a lot more than your average exchange, which means we also tend to see the problems with various blockchains and systems before other exchanges. So a lot of times we end up communicating with the various uh, coin communities and their open source networks to try to help resolve bugs that we found that they never saw because they were testing things in you know, a closed sandbox and yeah. we tend to test them at scale when the software hasn't been tested that way. Um, so we've, we've helped improve a lot of the blockchains just through our kind of interactions with those. One of our kind of most famous and well-documented uh, issues was a couple of years ago, a little over two years ago now, um, we were actually attacked and hacked by an insider. Um, an insider? Yeah, a, uh, a former employee okay. who essentially went rogue on us oh God. and had access to a number of our systems. Uh, he stole a good bit of Bitcoin from us at that point and actually sold basically access to another hacker that then attacked us and stole Bitcoin. You can actually read all about this story. Our CEO did a really great write-up on it after it happened, uh, called The Looting of the Fox. <laughs> and it was a great learning experience for us, and it also actually helped demonstrate our business model again, because um, as terrible of an experience as it was to go through, um, it also demonstrated that like customer funds were not yeah. at risk, because this whole thing happened. Shapeshift lost a little bit of its money, um, essentially, but no customer funds were ever put at risk, and it really kind of demonstrated that. And in addition, since we don't require any sort of significant amounts of user data, there was no customer data at risk either. So it really helped actually demonstrate, we were, we were, I think we were one of the few exchanges that was able to come out of like a hack like that and actually have it improve our reputation, yeah. not worsen it, because it really demonstrated that you can protect users by design of your system and not by a bunch of processes or regulations or other things that people want to put in place to protect users. And if you design your system correctly, you can really protect them. So coming out of that was probably one of our worst experiences, but we, we did come through the other side, and it's, it's, I'm glad we're on the other side of that. Yeah, I, I bet. Yeah. Well, from, from those early six, or from, not failures, from those early stumbling blocks, we'll yeah. go from some of the uh, more trying days to some of the cheerful days when you know things really started to ramp. Yeah. When did you, or when did the business start to actually see so much traction and growth? What year was it? Can you remember the month where you all kind of just went, whoa? Yeah, because <laughs> we've all a, had that moment, right? There's actually been a couple of them because the perspective keeps changing. Yeah, um, it certainly does. So I would say something like um, a couple of years ago, probably as recently as like 20, or as long ago as like 2016. Isn't that funny? Um, as long ago as 2016. This is the space. Right? Seems, seems so, so long ago. So, not that Back long ago. Back when I had long hair. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> um, in 2016, we definitely had. I don't remember exactly what month, but we had a couple of bumps in volume. Um, and we could start to see the service really growing, especially towards the end of that year. Um, by the end of the year, we were pretty happy um, with the growth of the service. And then in March of 2017, that was probably where we saw the first significant bump. But we were pretty happy with our volume at the time that all of a sudden in one month, it just like 5X'd itself. Wow. And then that just kept growing up until the point where that 5X had become 10X of that 5X by the end of the year. Um, and it just basically all through last year of 2017, with the peak in about December and, and mid-January. Yeah, um, it was just absurd. And like many exchanges in the space, we just got buried in support tickets uh, and all this backlog of people. Because we don't have accounts, we didn't have to shut down a registration or anything like that. Yeah. People could still use the service, but um, I think every exchange and basically every company in the space who had to deal with any significant volume was dealing with scaling issues at that time. And we've all learned from that as well. But that, that I'd say March of last year was really where we started to see this huge uptick and it just kind of went all of last year up until about January. And, and with the growth uh, and influx of user accounts, have you, like st staffing's an issue, 
with, with, with any business. Oh, yeah. If you're looking at scaling and, and scaling at such an, like, scaling at a rate that really hasn't been seen before. Yeah. Maybe back in the early dot-com, 96, 97 probably about days, the last time. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but, but now we're seeing businesses grow at such a feverish pace. And the thing is, it's a new industry. It's a, it's a new technology. I mean, it's not new-new, but it's new as far as people being in the space and genuinely interested. Absolutely. Are you finding it really difficult to bring talent in that understands it? Or is it more so that you only need a couple of key players key figures to manage the really internal complexities and a lot of support staff that just understand yeah. the business model. Yeah, no, good good question. It's it's always hard to find good talent um, for any business, really, um, but especially in the space. There's a, On the engineering side in particular, there's only so many people that have experience in the space at this point. Yeah. Um, those people are generally demanding you know, a lot to come on, and then you're, you're generally... Um, Instead, what you find yourself doing is hiring, you know, engineering staff and other staff that are, you know, maybe loosely familiar, but have a lot of other good backgrounds and are willing to learn. Um, or you're finding kind of those unicorn types who actually have the experience, but they're fewer and far between. Yeah. So we, you know, we've definitely had to experience that. Our staff itself also 10x last year. Um, so we experienced a tremendous amount of both technological scaling, but also organizational scaling. Um, and that was been one of our biggest challenges over the last year. And, and you're absolutely right, like the support staff, we needed to, we basically had to 10X that staff alone yeah. just because we needed the extra help and support. But also our engineering staff, we, we brought on a lot more engineers. And um, whenever you're bringing on engineers, or if, you, or if anyone's ever managed teams of engineers, there's always like a up to speed period uh, before they can be truly productive. You know, sometimes depending on your code base, that could be three, even six months before you really know the productivity you're gonna get out of your, you know, various engineers you bring onto the staff. Hopefully they go a little faster than that. But that's that's a constant challenge we're dealing with, and I don't have any sort of magic, you know, to yeah. to make that easier. <laughs> other than just it's a lot of hard work by all those involved to try to bring the right people on board. Well, you know, every entrepreneur faces these yeah. issues if they have success. Uh, yep. it's, it's a wonderful problem to have. Let's be honest. It's uh, definitely in the good problem. Yeah, <laughs> scalability. Yeah. The only reason you want to scale is because you've got a market to scale. Yep. What, what are the other, some other hurdles that you see, not just for Shapeshift but also for the industry? Of course, we we are talking yeah. a lot now. Uh, especially this week, I mean, everyone's talking about the space, everyone's talking about development, they're talking about regulation. There's a huge amount that's being discussed at the moment. What do you see as being a hurdle in the space? And if we can overcome that, not, I don't think the, the word if is a word that we're using or hearing too much. It's, or, or it's when. It's when. Yeah. Um, so what are the major issues that you see, or not issues, but hurdles that you see us needing to overcome as an industry as a whole before we can really take on that mainstream adoption, see that institutional funding come in and then see a 10x on where we are right now in the market cap? Totally. I think I think there's a few such issues that are really holding back or that the industry needs to collectively solve at the moment. Um, probably the biggest one facing almost every company in the space and just talking with everyone at this conference. I know it's just a repeated mantra from everyone of dealing with the regulatory uncertainty and yeah. the edu educating you know regulators and governments around the world that this stuff is really important and it's not just scary and. It's a very useful tool and technology that's being developed that can bring all sorts of benefit to people all over the world in all sorts of different ways. And honestly, in ways that most people just, even those in the industry, haven't even imagined yet. And the worst thing that could happen is essentially a regulatory chill, which has already started to happen a little bit in this country, um, in the United States at least, in some other parts of the world, that just slows the innovation to a crawl or a halt. Yeah. That is something that really, like, the regulators need to be educated and they need to hopefully work with the industry to foster this innovation. Um, until we get that kind of clarity, I, I fear that there's going to be a lot more slowdowns and a lot of 
you know, inst institutional money is kind of sitting right on the fence ready to jump in, mm -hmm. but they feel like they can't yet until this clarity happens. So I, I'd say that's probably the biggest issue facing, you know, existentially facing the industry. The second one is um, actually people working to build products um, that are actually quite usable by mainstream, um, you know, invest, not investors, but just consumers wanting to come into the market. Um, just like the early days of the internet, you know, people, not that many people were using it until some of the big applications like Facebook, Google, yep. Amazon, you know, all these things started getting built. And Don't forget MySpace. MySpace, of course. <laughs> all the, but, but those, it's really the applications that made, made the internet, you know, widespread Workable. use. It was not, it was not, TCP IP is yeah. not what made it big. SMTP is not what made email big. It's the applications built on top of those protocols. And I think very similar in this space, we're, we're still at a very early stage where a lot of these protocols are still being developed and a lot of the focus is on like the protocols and the assets related to those protocols themselves. But I think a few years from now, the mainstream really comes in or maybe even sooner, it'll be because a couple of these companies or groups in the space have built products that are actually so easy to use that it essentially abstracts that protocol layer away from the user to the point where they, they may not even have no, to they're understand using, they're yeah. using this stuff. Um, just like they don't understand they're using TCP IP when they connect to a web browser, that, you know, or SMTP when they're sending an email. They don't, they don't need to understand the, the mechanics, you know, and a, a friend of, you know, a colleague of mine put it as, you know, someone, we need people to be able to learn to drive these cars, essentially, learn to use the applications, but not to be mechanical engineers yeah. who can fix those things. Yeah. You know, that, that's always going to be a specialized subset of people, the developers, and that's fine. But we need the interfaces to develop enough to be usable by people. And unfortunately, that second thing is actually tied to the first issue of the regulatory uncertainty or potentially onerous rules actually makes developing an easy-to-use product harder. Um, so to the degree that we can get clarity on that, I think it will also speed up the ability for product, you know, companies to develop products that actually are easy to use. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting you say that about you know people may not even know that they're using it. It yeah. might be a background uh, technology that's part of day-to-day -day life and we're waiting yes. for that break. I mean, I, I had lunch with, I was lucky enough when Charlie Lee came to Sydney, Yeah, had lunch with Charlie Lee and we had a little event there with a friend of mine in Sydney and um, look at his vision for Leica, because of course everyone knows he sold his life going here. It's a little tiny yeah. bit, uh, yada, 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 you know, cue conspiracy theories. Um, <laughs> but the guy's a good guy. Like He's a, he's a very yeah, nice true. human being. Yeah. Uh, his vision for Litecoin was exactly. microtransactions, transactions, big, small, micro, everything. He wants it to be used in a way that we don't even know we're using it. Yep. And that's very similar to what you're saying Absolutely. there. Now, it's not been achieved yet, and nobody has achieved close. that. <laughs> Nobody's gotten there that. And that's where the fascination, the interest, and from an investor point of view, uh, there's so much development. I, I had um, York, he's the leader of blockchain for Microsoft, uh, a couple of days back on the show. Uh -huh. And we talked about the difference uh, between the internet and where we are now, because it's the only sort of growth similarity tech you know, it's the only thing we can really sort of sit next to and go, we're kind of alike, you know what I mean? Yeah. And sort of my question was, we're 1993, year 2000. In your position, in your view, you are you are right there at the coalface. You are a big part of the industry because you're one of the people bringing people into it from the exchange point of view. You've been around a long time. You're ingrained. Yep. You're a piece of furniture. Yeah, uh, you're sure. not someone walking through the door. <laughs> so you, you're speaking to the right people. You're having the right conversations. Based on that 1993 or year 2000, where do you think we are at the moment with the blockchain community as a whole? Yeah, good, good question. I, I'd say we're, in that analogy, we're probably like no, no more than 94, 95. Like it's, it's right when people are really beginning to take the technology seriously and be very interested in it. And most people have even heard about it. You know, I'd say that the, the vast majority of people um, 
have at least heard about what Bitcoin is, yeah. but they don't necessarily understand it, they don't necessarily own any, the actual adoption rate is still quite low. So I think we're right at the beginning of the upcurve of the adoption rate before it goes exponential in many ways. Um, even though it, from, from an industry standpoint, it already feels like it's gone exponential <laughs> in terms that. of the markets and yeah. the, the interest, but I think the amount of actual people involved um, is still quite low um, compared to the amount that could be in the long term. So. I'd say like 94, 95 is about right. Yeah, and look, I think, uh, look, everybody's been saying between sort of 93 and 95. Yeah. Uh, in that same sort of vein, because at the end of the day, it's not being used yeah. um, too much. I mean, it is being used, let's be honest. But I mean, we look at valuations of some of these tokens and coins out there and you go, it's 10 billion? For what? It's not even working just yet. So I, <laughs> there's a lot of immaturity in this space. The investors yeah. are finding it hard to, to value a company at this stage. It's not a publicly listed company, so you haven't got access to all the all the data that we would normally be used to. So it's very difficult to go in and value it. Yep. And, and we look at this and I speak to people and I say, well, if you want to take that traditional model and apply it to this market, you're going to fail because it doesn't work that way. Eventually, maybe we'll have those mechanics that we can go in and view the insides of these, these projects. But right now, it's very much about understanding the technology, the team, their, their ability uh, to execute their plans and also does it need to actually exist? We've, we've seen money grabs where you know you put you put the camera on the blockchain, you put blockchain next to it, you raise $10 million and yep. then <laughs> you float your coin and it's not worth it and they go, oh, oh well, we've got $1 million for our team to run per year and we don't care because we just banked the nine. We're still yeah. in that twilight area of there are some dodgy people out there, but that's like every, I mean, look at Bernie Madoff. Yeah. I mean, look, he was ingrained within the system and ripped everybody off. We do have that, but it's we are It's a great example adopting. of how regulation does not necessarily Correct. stop those things. It just makes them harder to detect in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, we very much are in that part of, this, part of the timeline. And I think it's important to note that I think those things are actually, like you said, very natural for a space that's growing this fast. Um, even the, the, you know, the people who get on, on, you know, on their high horse about, Bitcoin being used for illicit purposes or things like that. I yeah. think it's, it's important to realize that any useful tool in the world is always going to be used by someone. I mean, the, in many ways, the criminals are generally the most advanced in terms yeah. of adopting technology, and they actually lead the way in these things. Not to say that we want them to use it or don't want to help fight those things, because we do, but we also need to realize that any good tool, just like the US dollar, is going to be used for some things that people don't want it to be used. But that's, by no means does that mean we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. That would have been like saying that we should shut down the internet because well, get a, rid few of the US people, dollar. <laughs> a few people used it first, you know, for, for bad things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or get rid of the US dollar, exactly. Yeah. Those, that's, that's just terrible logic. We, we, we have to be able to realize that, just like any tool, this technology can use for good and bad. And overwhelmingly, it can be used for good. Um, if, the, if we support it in the right way. And the community is very yeah. supportive of changing the world. It's the mantra here uh, in New York this week and you know, in a space in general, it's typically, yes, we can do very well financially, but let's change the way the world operates. Let's Absolutely. shape our new world. And with all these millennials with the big brains coming in, they're all used to devices on their, in their hands from, from birth. They, they are the technology exactly. kids. The, we've got very big brains in a very amazing place, and we're seeing now the biggest drain from Silicon Valley ever since the internet is going into blockchain. So we're going to solve these issues. We're going to see the space evolve. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, John. What I want to ask yeah, finally sure. is where can people find out more information about you, your project, and get involved? Absolutely. So you can you can find out much more about Shapeshift at our website, um, www.shapeshift.io. There you can check out kind of some of our other services. We also run another product called CoinCap, which you can download in the App Store um, or the Android App Store. 
And um, yeah, check out some of our services and the things we offer. Appreciate it. John, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure. Thank, Thank you for you your so insights. Much. I really you do too. appreciate it, guys. Have a great day. Speak, speak to you later. Bye for now. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Check out TraderCobb.com because experience matters. This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Views are of the advertiser, not TraderCobb or the audio presenter.